Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. It's quite the scene we have before us today, and we see these people who bring this man to Jesus, and they're acting out of great love. They really were. This man was in need, and they brought him to the one who was able to give him healing. And we understand that concept. It's not too hard. If you're a parent, you do this all the time. When your kid gets sick, you bring him to the doctor. When it's checkup time, you take her and drag everybody into the car, and however hard that may be, and you go. No matter who you are, you need to eat. So you either go to the grocery store, or if you're still at home, you go to your mom and say, Mom, I'm hungry, right? And you go to get food. Now those examples abound. And there are things that we need, and we either go or bring ourselves to get what is needed. And so there are negative consequences then if we don't get what we need. Go long enough without food and bad things happen. Get sick and you just brush it off and say, well, just you know, rub salt on the wound, you'll be okay, and things could go back poorly for you. Now here, this man in the reading today was deaf, and he had a speech impediment, and later it says he's mute. It's kind of ambiguous, that term. Either he could, for some reason, something was messed up with his speech. And why? Well, there's no reason given, but we do know what God tells us in his word about the state of fallen creation. We see sickness, we see disabilities, violence, and all sorts of physical ailments and needs are part of what it means to be a creature living in this world. Some have more to face than others. But the fact of the matter is that all of creation is affected, either in some way, shape, or form, but ultimately in our original sin, turned against God. So for this man, he couldn't hear. He couldn't speak. He was a sinner living in a sinful world. And when we look at this, as we know, Jesus came into this sinful world to redeem his creation. He didn't show up and just say, oh boy, wow, what's this I came into? No, he knew full well what had happened. He knew that the only real answer to all of this was for him to reconcile the world to the Father, to make peace by the shedding of his blood. He had to justify his creation by his life lived according to God's law and his death offered as a perfect sacrifice for sin. Because only then would there ever be real healing, would there ever be life, would there ever be an end to death. That's what Jesus knew. That's what he experienced as he walked this earth from place to place, seeing these things all around him. What he came to do and accomplish. And so then we hear, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. Now where this region is, between Tyre and Sidon in the region of the Decapolis, it's a pagan region. There are different parts and different stories that we see. In the Old Testament, if you remember the widow at Zarephath, that's kind of this region here. Or you think of the Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman who had a daughter possessed by demons. All that happens in there. And there's a lot that be said about this as Jesus is kind of prefiguring, sending the disciples out to all nations. But whatever the case is, Jesus takes this man aside and he sighs. Jesus sighs and it's a telling thing. Now, there are a few other places in the Bible where this word for sighing is used. 
And those two places, two of those places are Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 5. Now, in both of those instances, the word is not translated as sighing, but as groan or groaning. It's the word for what our bodies do as we live in this fallen world and yearn for the resurrection of the dead and the new creation. It's what you do as you get older and older and when you try to get up from the couch, that word that comes out of your mouth. I've started to learn that, and Rebecca said I was like an old man, but whatever. <laughs> it's rooted in a hope, though, of what is to come, as God has promised on the last day, of saying, oh, I can't wait till I don't groan, that my body doesn't waste away anymore. And as Christians, we look in faith to what is to come, as God's word has revealed it to us. And we want to be in that place. We want to be in that state. So we groan, we yearn, we sigh for that glorious day. So Jesus now taking this man aside who has these issues, he looks up to heaven, a posture of prayer, and he looks for that day too, when there will no longer be sin, when there will no longer be its ramifications among God's people. He takes this man aside as if to show him, I am the one who alone can take you out of this fallen world to call you personally aside, to give you healing. I'm alone the one who rescues you, the one who gives you life, the one who calls you out of the darkness and opens your ears to hear the words of life and light. And so that's what Jesus did. Even if it's just in a temporal way on this side of the grave, Jesus healed this man. He opened his ears to hear. He loosed or set free his tongue to speak. And we hear that and we shouldn't be surprised. The people who brought the man to Jesus were expecting something to happen. They didn't just say, well, oof, here's this guy. Let's just try him, for example. No, the prophet Isaiah said this would happen. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. Now, when you look at yourself, and you look at yourself as a Christian going through this world, you know what awaits you in your future. God's word fixes your eyes on, in faith toward that future day of redemption, vindication, that day of healing. And he lays that before you as you read and hear his word preached to you. And the glory of that day is beyond comparing. We can't even know how great it is, but God does give us little glimpses. But on this day here and now, you hear this account from Mark, and you're confronted with something. You see Jesus take this man aside, and you see him heal it, him, and you see this whole event, and God asks you that question. Well, that's all well and good. But do you actually believe that? No, really, think about it. Think about what you hear. It just so happened that today, this reading is appointed, lined up, when we go back to our schedule of Sunday school, Bible studies, midweek school this week, more Bible studies during the week. And it's an appropriate thing as we think about this as we come away from our weekly lives, our schedules, however busy they may be. And we come aside and we sit here in this place. Now at times as a pastor, I wonder if I sound like a broken record. But then again, that's kind of what a pastor is supposed to do. A father keeps admonishing and teaching his children as they grow up because it's his duty to show them what will hurt them and teach them in the way they should go. And you know something? It's never not needed. 
When you think about your own life, when you think about the lives of your friends, when you think about the loved ones, which one of you, like these people in the reading, wouldn't go to the great lengths to help them? If you knew that if you went to this guy, he could cure your child, your friend, of deafness, of being mute, wouldn't you take him? If your kid is sick and needs medical attention, who among you wouldn't take him to a doctor? You should do that. Because for you to ignore the needs of your children, you don't love them. And you're sinning against God who has given you charge over them. You feed them, you give them clothing, you give them shelter. It's what you do because love does no harm to the neighbor and it desires good. Now, of course, we always could be better at it. Now think a minute and then if someone were to tell you, hey, there's this place where if you take your kid, if you take your family member, you take your friend, they'll be safe from this sinful world. A place that's a place of rest. It's, it's an oasis set apart from the hustle and bustle and mess that is life. And they'll hear things that not only show them what is truly good, but actually give them life in their hearing by hearing those words. And in this place, they'll be cleansed. They'll be healed from things that cause them to die. And taking into their mouths this medicine, they'll live forever and never see any type of pain or suffering or hunger or thirst in the future. And from this same gift, they will be given a new life that then goes from that place and cares for others, that loves one another in a way that they would give up themselves for the sake of another in need. Who wouldn't take their loved ones? Who wouldn't take themselves running to that place? And then they ask you, wow, man, that sounds awesome. Where is that place? Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa, right? You respond, dear brother, that's the church of God. And that's how we should view where we are sitting right now. Is it heaven or is it Iowa? Yeah, it's both. This is the holy place. The place where God has called you individually in the waters of your baptism. Where he set you apart from the crowds. The place where in your life where he comes with healing for you receive, as you receive him and his word and sacraments. We sing that in that first communion hymn, Jesus comes today with healing. And if you look at a lot of the communion hymns, they're about that. Giving us healing, giving us a foretaste of that future redemption. And it's actually what happens in this place. But we don't always believe it. At least we don't always confess that in our lives. When we would move heaven and earth to make it to a doctor's appointment, when we would rework our schedules so as to participate in some activity, what are our lives saying? It's saying the opposite of what these people are doing in our reading. And what are we teaching our children, our friends, our family members about what is important in our lives and the place where we need to be? We're saying if these people were like, I'm, I'm okay with be this man being deaf and mute because really, you know what, I think he's doing okay in life. And we end up closing our ears to the words of eternal life. We shut our eyes to the hope of the future. And it gets farther and farther away until that hope is gone. We live in the here and now. And as that matters most. But sadly, that's who we are. It's what we teach our children at times. And so if we really believe what God says, though, this wouldn't be the case. And you see, this is where the Lord looks at you. And he says something. He says that word, which is just fun to say as a pastor, ephephtha, right? I mean, you don't have to be a pastor to say it, but he says, be opened. 
Be opened. He calls you to repentance and that now is the favorable day of salvation. He says, guys, I'm here right now. And you know, I'm for you. So this same God who spit in his fingers and healed this guy is the same God who's here for you right now with great healing. It's the same Lord. Your Lord is here and you are in his sanctuary, set apart from the world around you. And so you go through this world and you groan, you sigh, and your Lord who has won the day sighs and says to you, your sin is forgiven, dear child. And those words are here for you now. And clinging to those words, they point you to what is truly your future. And so God says, welcome to his sanctuary. Welcome to this holy place, which is set apart, which is pulled aside and different than anything than you experience during the week. When you come here, you're in the ark as the floodwaters surround around, around you. And God has opened your ears to hear him. He's opened your lips to confess the faith he has graciously give it, given to you. Our souls praise our maker. And it's different, and that's the way it's supposed to be, because that's the nature of being holy. We don't mix common things with holy things. And so when the church looks more and more like the ordinary things, when it looks around like that region and not what God has set us apart from, then we've lost sight of who we are. But we see this is intentionally different. Jesus intentionally brought this man aside. But even in that, you're pointing to a future that's different than what you have in this life. As great as things may be in this life, the best is yet to come. So in faith, then, you have a reverence for this place, a reverence for what happens here. You have a holy fear and awe because you know what happens and who is here. That's why we bow before we enter into this place, why you kneel when you receive into your mouth the very body and blood of Christ. When we, we actually believe that we're coming into the presence of God himself, and so we treat it as such. And as we sang in that hymn, we know that God will not put you to shame. He won't forsake you and your faithful receiving what he gives. So even though the earth would give way and the heavens be moved, your Lord won't forsake those who call upon him in faith as you receive his word and sacraments. And know too, your future is the future Jesus has prepared for you. Behold that reading. See what happens to that man and that healing that he just gets in a temporal thing and know that this is the Lord, the Lord who has prepared a mansion for you. And so then you have a foretaste of that future. This is what your children have and what they see when you bring them here. When you bring them in to this place, you're bringing them to a place where heaven and earth meet, a place where forgiveness, life, and salvation are given out. And it means that the day will come when your body will be raised from its grave and you will have a glorious body free from sin and all that is brought about in this world. And sitting together, that's the inheritance that you have. It's the inheritance with all of God's saints, young, old. And so we see that Jesus really does all things well. What a great confession of his person. He does all things well. He's truly good even as his works and word are good. And most especially, he's done all things well for you because he's the one who's paid the price you owe. The one who was faithful where we have not been faithful. The one who has fulfilled where we have fallen short. The one who has accomplished your eternal life. 
and he continues to do things well in your life as he freely gives you what he has won. And so thanks be to God. With those people in the reading, we're astonished beyond measure, saying he does done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He really did that, even as he really died and rose from the grave, even as he gives it to us now, and that's what he promises is for us, our resurrection. So what a marvelous thing. What a miraculous thing. He's opened your ears to hear. He's loosed your tongue to confess him before God and before men who is your head, even unto life everlasting. For he has done all things well. Amen.